Welcome to this week's episode of Extraordinary Entrepreneurs Together, the podcast for entrepreneurs interested in fast growth and funding, powered by EHE Capital. So hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the EHE podcast. Today, I'm joined by Elliot and Ross, and we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the chapters, particularly relating to investment and due diligence and funding that are in our book that's coming out later next month. So hi, Elliot. Hi, Ross. How are you both? Hi, Nairi. Good, thanks. Yourself? Yeah, good, thank you. You okay, Ross? Yeah, very good, Nairi. Yeah. yeah. A bit sunny at Lord, so Oh, yeah, we've had a lovely well. week, haven't we? We have. We have. Rain's coming now, but hey, um, we'll look forward to the summer for the moment. Thanks for uh, bursting my, my bubble there. Well, we won't mention where Guy and everybody else are, because they're definitely somewhere more exotic than the three of us this week, aren't they? But nice to be joined by you both. You haven't been on for a little while, have you? I know, I was really thinking that we didn't have any good staff. <laughs> no. We invited back. No, just got awkward diaries. It's difficult to fill. What we're going to do today is talk a little bit more about the book. So we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Pete and Guy shared some of their kind of key themes and chapters. But I know you two, well, I suppose fortunately for us, maybe unfortunately for you, quite a lot of the meaty topics fell to you two to kind of impart your knowledge on, didn't they? So we have a section in the book that's called Getting Investor Ready. And you two were the the natural people to, to talk about that. I just wondered before we kind of pick apart some of the key themes in that section, if one of you would explain... What do we mean by sort of getting investor ready? What does it mean for entrepreneurs and, and why is it important? I'm happy to pick that one up. That kind of with like the book title, obviously, which is we probably picked on the other week, fast growth through funding. Securing funding is an essential step in establishing the foundation for long-term success. It's a multi-stage process. And by getting investor ready, there's three elements, in my opinion, to it. The first one's kind of preparation. Second one is investor engagement. And third one is deal execution. It can be quite a long, onerous process, in particular for founders that haven't been through kind of a fundraise before. It can take anywhere between three and and 12 months. EHE, what we actually do as part of our services, ensure that entrepreneurs are equipped with the right tools to give them the maximum chance of success. So two elements to getting investor ready. The first one is kind of a viability test. So Management teams have got to demonstrate to potential investors that they've got a sustainable, well-run business with a a, a growth plan that they believe that they can execute. So they've got a good value proposition. They've got a a qualified team. They've got a good business model. They've got financial projections. They've thought about the deal structure, et cetera. Second one is having the right materials in place to pitch the opportunity to investors. So they've got sound business plan, they've got an investment teaser slash deck, they've got a financial model, and they've got all the things that can kind of give a compelling story and business case to investors so that when, when they actually come to the second stage of the process, which is the engagement stage, that they're actually extremely well prepared for that section. And also that can, by being more well prepared, obviously that can speed up the process and give them a much better chance of success. Well, thank you. Anything to add there, Ross? No, I, I think Elliot's described it very well. The big thing is, I always refer to like when you do a project, you don't go into doing the project and try and deliver it right at the end. You always do a lot of the preparatory work. And I think that's exactly as Elliot describes that, you know, our community and our entrepreneurs need to think about making sure they've got all their ducks in a row, as I refer to it as, and trying to second guess 
what type of things could be coming our way to challenge them. And it is, you know, ensuring that you've you've thought about the questions in advance as quickly as possible. Be prepared, really. Okay, bro. Thank you. And in terms of kind of one of the, the first things we talk about is around due diligence. So I think you both covered that chapter, didn't you? But maybe if, if Ross, if you want to start, what, what are some of the key things that you need to prepare for as an example in terms of due diligence? What would you be looking for as an investor? What do businesses need to factor into this process? So I think when we refer to due diligence, it's in the way that I've always interpreted it, is making sure that your information that's backing up your original teaser, your business plan, your investor deck, that we can then be able to drill down and understand the component parts that make up that plan. The one thing that we've found with, with entrepreneurs is, is to ensure that when they talk about their story and then that translates into a deck that translates into business plan numbers, that we can then get into the background of where all that information comes from and we can test it and we can, we can stress test it. We can make sure that it makes sense. I think it's fair to say Elliot and I will never profess to be the, the experts in all fields, but what we do have is a common approach in terms of how you ensure that that background information is robust because what we will need to do is to, is to review it and, and ensure that we can stress test every part of the proposition, you know, and they always say every time you're thinking about building up your, your business model, your, your proposition, if there's some important information, then just store it somewhere and make sure you can get access to it quite quickly. A lot of businesses, when they grow up, they, they always forget about, oh, well, is that important or not important? But just store it away, PDF it, put it on a, on a hard drive because as you start to grow, You'll always rely upon some of the foundational stuff that you've you know, you've started with. So yeah, due diligence is is just that whole in depth review that we go through to make sure that everything ties up to that holistic overview. Well, thank you. It's funny actually because I think obviously I work with a few businesses who are much earlier on, so real startup. But when you start out, there are no processes, are there? Or there are no documents. It's very much, and even businesses now that I speak to that are a bit more established, you know, if we're talking about kind of a partnership or a referral model, you find out that there isn't a process for that or there isn't a document and you've just kind of got to, well, there is an element of winging it a bit, isn't there, in a startup, but there comes a point where you sort of have to stop winging it and start having some some processes and some some documentation and a proper sort of filing system as well. So, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the interesting thing is I would refer to things like proof of concept, that even if you've not actually delivered something, at least if there's some foundational review, something that's online, something you can rely upon, your own expertise, other people's experiences. There's a lot of stuff on the internet that helps and supports you giving foundational information. As you say, for a startup, it's it's so damn difficult because an entrepreneur will come up with a fantastic idea that probably has never been proven in the whole marketplace. And, and you're there going, Right. How do I stress test this? What does it really mean? How how innovative is it going to be? But we'll do as much as we can. The entrepreneur needs to help us pull as much as he can or she can to support that. It, it is difficult, as you say, with, with startups. Just to add to that, even kind of putting the kind of fundraising to one side, I think kind of looking at the diligence process and kind of the documents and questions that can be asked for is a great way and opportunity of budding entrepreneurs are professionalizing themselves kind of at the early stage of a journey because as you kind of alluded to there, Nairi, a lot of businesses in the early stages, they do wing it 
a little bit. They don't have kind yeah. of the processes and, and, and documents in place, but you can never be too early to actually start putting them in place for a company that's actually got aspirations, high growth aspirations. And obviously by looking at a DD process, it can help them actually start thinking about some of the things that they need to have in place. It's the preparation thing that we kind of touched on earlier. And it also, it's a great process for getting management teams actually thinking about the plan and what they want to achieve and strategizing, et cetera. So just by looking, you know, through that process, a lot of people think DED is an onerous process, but it's not. It can be viewed as a kind of opportunity as well. Even if people weren't successful with raising finance, they're still going to get something out of that process that will put them in good stead for the future. Cool. I think that's why it's always good to have somebody like me and you <laughs> on a business because I'm all for winging it and you're all for process, aren't you? So between us, we can between finance and marketing, we can usually get a nice a nice mix of things done. So then moving on to the second section, we talked a lot about funding options. We specialise in matching entrepreneurs with investors through funding. But actually in the book, what's quite nice, I think, is we talk about all the different types of funding options. I just wondered maybe, Alec, you might want to kick us off on this one about just give us an overview on what some of the different funding options are for for entrepreneurs and what the benefit is of using a business like EHE. I think in terms of funding, is generally seen as as two buckets. There's either debt-based funding or equity-based funding. In its simplest terms, debt-based funding is predominantly, that's low that you have to pay back at a later date over a term, an agreed term with interest. Equity finance is where you actually sell a stake, a shareholding in the business. So you're bringing another owner, part shareholder into the business. Sometimes there's a combination of both in certain scenarios, and that's something that obviously EHE will kind of assess as part of our investment process. Entrepreneurs will come to us with a certain valuation and a belief that they need a certain amount of of finance, but quite often, obviously, the, the valuations can be scrutinised. And also, quite often, they may not need as much money as what they think they need, or if they're a profitable business, there may be debt-based options, which means that more of the equity stake of a business can stay with those that are running and pushing the business forward to incentivise them kind of day-to-day. So there's there's lots of different pros and cons of each, obviously, in terms of, if we just want to kind of a couple of them, and I'll perhaps yeah. bring Ross in, but in terms of debt-based funding, you have to use the profits revenue of the business to pay the loan back. So equity-based funding is not debt that has to be paid back. So effectively, you are not using future profits to pay them back. So that can obviously hinder the growth of a business if you actually got outgoings from loan repayments rather than reinvesting equity-based funding back into the business, obviously, for if you've got a high growth plan. If you're a startup, clearly debt-based funding can be quite hard to get, if not impossible, at a point in time, because it can be a, an idea without a kind of proven business model. At that point, security won't be available. Quite often, founders may have to personally guarantee that, you know, put some skin in the game themselves. I think we've touched on other podcasts in the past, obviously, with equity-based investments, you know, investors may have a higher appetite for risks than debt-based funders. They won't require security. But they may very well expect higher returns than what a bank would who would just expect capital and interest back. You're quite right. It's, it, it, it is a, a matching, isn't it, with regards to what our, our entrepreneurs need and they require. And I think it's fair to say the journey that they'll start off with as a, as a startup will be maybe they'll have to give up more in the early days 
and then less in the later days, depending on how the business model, you know, continues to expand. And with high growth models, I mean, they always need to focus on that you may have to give a bit in the early days, but it's great to have a small proportion of a large pie. And I think that's what people will be focused on is that if you've got a high growth model, you try to build something that's going to be highly valuable, hopefully in five, 10 years time. And it's all about that risk management, isn't it, Elliot? Which is we've, we've seen if you can't secure something on something, or there's a lot of hope value, but there's a lot of foundation to that hope value, then you may have to give a lot up to begin with. But we're very creative at the HE where we'll help the entrepreneur come together with the right investor as to how that proportion can benefit the entrepreneur in the future. We've done a recent deal that has emphasized that. And actually, the entrepreneur, I think, has been very, very pleased with the way we've creatively come up with that. But also the investors, they can see that, right, they can see their security in the early days, but they can also see that yeah, that needs to be gifted back to the entrepreneur as he lands milestones. So I think that's one thing that I do see EHE is, is a step ahead of other investment, you know, review houses that help entrepreneurs get the right balance. But, you know, as we've always said, you know, when the initial idea, especially for a, a startup is, you know, we've got to try and land it. We're going to help the entrepreneur land it and they need a lot of money to get it set up. And clearly that does need a lot of high risk. But we're all together and attuned together to make sure it's successful. Well, thank you. And then finally, one of the things we talked about, which is very much part of our ethos, isn't it, is around what does a good investor look like and matching the right investor with the right entrepreneur. So, I mean, is there such a thing as good and bad investors or, you know, what what does a good investor look like? I just thought that was an interesting point for us to maybe finish on today. You don't have to name and shame. <laughs> <laughs> I think if, if I put myself in the seat of an entrepreneur, I think from my point of view and from dealing with lots of our entrepreneurial clients, it's got to be about investors that bring more than cash to the table because most you know businesses with high growth aspirations, they need lots of support during the process. They don't just need money. Generally, they have a, a foundation at that point in time that they need to build upon, and that's going to need predominantly people throughout the process to help them deliver that growth plan. So... In terms of more than cash, you know, that kind of key qualities I'd look for in an investor is, you know, and investors that kind of trust the management team to kind of get on with things. They believe in the vision and they're aligned with what they're looking to achieve. Clearly, you'd look for an investor that can ideally make some introductions to help the journey kind of in their, in their growth plan. You know, you may very well look for somebody who's got industry experience, which ties back to that kind of valuable, you know, valuable network if, they, if they've got industry experience and previous success possibly in that in that industry as well generally these sorts of people can bring a lot to the table and may very well join as an investor director or a non-exec as well as being a shareholder in, in the business and that kind of ties me back to that kind of shared vision and alignment a good cultural fit and ideally people can give you some time as well so not just i mean obviously they will if it's a fund you know for example clearly there's going to be silent investors within that fund but ideally you want your lead investor, so to speak, in my opinion, is somebody that brings more to the table than just money. Now, I fully agree with you earlier, but that's quite right. They, but we call it a match made in heaven, isn't it, in terms of making sure that the investors are aligned to the, the values of what the entrepreneur is looking for. And that could be so invaluable for our entrepreneurs that if they find the right investor, then it will help them and accelerate their plans. 
and support them, accelerating those plans. So, you know, we're there to try and help that sort of matching. So we sometimes refer to it as like a marriage, isn't it, uh, Elliot, in the book? But there's so many different ways of talking about it, but it is making sure that everyone's aligned, you know, and that lead investors can be so important for entrepreneurs. I think in terms of bad investors, as you mentioned, good, good and bad, you wouldn't particularly want an investor that meddles in the kind of day-to-day operational aspects of the business, you know, perhaps some investors, and I think we've written certain sections in the book about people who can get involved and run the business by a spreadsheet, don't necessarily know a lot about the sector, and they don't really add any value in terms of the growth plan and what you're looking to achieve. So they're not very well aligned, potentially just there for kind of high returns and may very want to get there in the quickest way possible, which might not necessarily be the right or ethical way in certain circumstances, and they'll trod on anybody to get there. Thank you. I think that's a really important point, isn't it? And it goes back to the ethos of EHE, which is around matching the entrepreneur with a suite of the right investors. And we're all very passionate about that. I know you guys spend a lot of time making sure that we've got the right investors on board and we can match them with the right entrepreneurs rather than just, you know, cash for equity. Is there anything else either of you wanted to add that we've not covered today that's that's in the book? Obviously, we've not talked about pitch decks. That's also in the book, but we did say that it's you know, quite a lot of information on pitch decks. We have got a separate podcast that we've done, which I'll link on, but we might cover that separately. I just thought it was quite important to cover kind of some of the investor metrics and the equity pieces off today. Yep. I think the only other thing I would say that within the book, we do talk about creative like funders out there now that we're seeing coming to the party. So what I mean by that, people who are more of place values around ESG, around social changes. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say we've not, we didn't cover much on that, did we? Certain banks who want to get more accreditation around positives around the environment and they're prepared to fund certain investments. They can achieve their own goals and not yeah. necessarily where they don't take high risks normally. They are prepared to do that because it, it achieves another goal for them. So I think for our entrepreneurs, what I'm saying is that there are creative ways and we've got contacts to understand how those can support. So. It's an ever-changing world, doesn't it, out there? Yeah. Just to add kind of on top of what Ross said there is obviously one of our key areas of focus to kind of tech-based and tech-focused businesses. And quite often tech businesses don't have a lot of assets on the balance sheet. They're generally viewed as an intangible asset. And there is, as Ross mentioned, there are more creative funds out there. And now that people do value and look at kind of intellectual property as an asset within within the business rather than just kind of a bricks and mortar valuation, which most kind of debt-based funders particularly normally look at in the past, you know, what form of tangible security have you got? There is more creative funders out there who are looking at more intangible forms of assets because clearly that's kind of the way the world the world is moving now. Any business that's not kind of got a tech element to it will probably be uh, not, not, a, not a high bet yeah. over the coming years. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we definitely covered that in the in the last one with Guy. That was really interesting. Thank you both. So, listen, if you are an entrepreneur who wants to find out more about funding and how EHE can help them, please submit your details via the website. We'll pop the link in the podcast description. And similarly, if you're an investor that wants to be matched with the right type of entrepreneur, then again, we would love to hear from you. And again, we'll we'll pop those details into the podcast description. Thank you both very much. Hopefully it won't be as long before you make a reappearance on the podcast. I'll get you booked in quickly and I'll catch up with you all soon. Thank you. Thanks, Larry. Thanks, Larry. Bye now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Extraordinary Entrepreneurs Together. Visit the EHE Capsule website 
ehe.capital for further insights and to join the EHE community.